Thanks for downloading show 69 of the C-Suite podcast, one of a series of specials that we're recording with our partners, the International Communications Consultancy Organization from the Cannes Lion International Festival of Creativity. Uh, This is actually the third year running that we've uh, set ourselves up on the beachfront outside the main festival hall in the Ico House of PR. Uh, My name is Russell Goldsmith, and in this episode, we're looking at some of the campaigns being featured here at Cannes uh, that focus on healthcare and the charity sector. And so for this first interview, I'm thrilled to welcome uh, Josie Norton, the co-founder of Help Refugees, a charity that actually only launched in August 2015, um, but in that short space of time has grown into one of the primary humanitarian organisations dealing with the refugee crisis uh, in Europe. Um, Josie is here in Cannes seeking uh, some more support from some of the biggest global media partners around, um, all of uh, whom are here, um, and she's uh, going to try and convince them to uh, help her cause. Um, now, from the bit of research that I've, I've done, Josie, I know uh, that Help Refugees is supporting over 80 projects in 10 countries and that's across Europe and the Middle East and as I understand it you've helped um, already helped over 722,000 people so there's some incredible numbers there I know you're campaigning here because there's still loads more to do but I wanted to start just by understanding how you got to do what you do and why do you think you've achieved so much in in such a relatively short space of time um, thank you so much um, right. so um, help refugees um, started in August 2015, so at about to turn three. And that year, a million people arrived in Europe, and it was kind of when the term the refugee crisis got coined. And we were all seeing the images on the news of people on boats, of people sadly drowning, living in awful conditions, the people, people like queuing up to get on trains, and just really, really awful images. And myself and some friends kind of started to feel like just posting something on Facebook wasn't really enough anymore and so we thought we would just try and raise a thousand pounds and one van load of stuff and take it to Calais just because that was the nearest place to us Um, so that's like tents and shoes and sleeping bags and stuff and we accidentally ended up raising £56,000 in the first week and starting an Amazon wish list of those most wanted items and started to receive 7,000 packages from Amazon every single day. Um, and we had just literally no idea what to do with all of this stuff, but we had to, we were kind of like, we just had to sort it out because because it was arriving and there's nothing we could do. So we um, had to like organize volunteers. We, um, an amazing guy who did logistics at a prison came and volunteered and taught us how to pack and sort. And then we realized that we actually didn't know who we were gonna give any of this stuff to. And we really felt, such a sense of responsibility to the public who had entrusted us with this stuff and we wanted to make sure we did right by the public. So we went to Calais and expected to find the UN or a governmental body or the big organisation that was taking care of everybody and there was no one there. There was 5,000 people living in a field with with nothing. There were babies without nappies, people had no shoes on. If they had a tent at all, it was a like rubbish little festival tent with holes in it. There was no wash facilities, people had no food. Like I, I literally never expected to see that yeah, in my life. Because you would have thought that, like you say, those yeah. other organizations would be looking after things like yeah, that. Yeah, you really would. And and we were in France, like we were in Europe, and yeah. that felt totally, totally insane and mad. Um, and I think we really like felt like once we'd seen it we couldn't unsee it so 
there was kind of just a sense of responsibility that we had to, had to do something. So yeah. we, we ended up partnering with a local French association, renting a warehouse, starting a volunteer program, a shelter building program, distribution system. And there was, so it wasn't just us, there was like a kind of explosion of compassion, I think, in, in the UK at that time. So loads of people with skills were were popping up and, you know, if they were chefs, they were setting up an amazing kitchen, all, the, all these different things. Um, and what we were really good at was like logistics and raising money and supporting those organizations. So yeah. we kind of became an umbrella for all these amazing people who were actually doing the, the really, really amazing things. But Calais grew to um, nearly 12,000 people and we, we ended up being like camp management for a refugee camp of that size. And at the same time... With no, with no experience of anything. With no experience at all, no. <laughs> but I think our naivety in a way was kind yeah, of... Yeah, yeah. We just felt like well, we're just going to try and fix the problem. Yeah. Um, and But at the same time as we were in Calais, you know, those same terrifying gaps were also happening throughout Europe and in Greece. So we started to support grassroots organisations who were doing the search and rescue, who were setting up field hospitals, who were doing huge distributions of tents, of meals, um, all, all around Greece and then further into Europe. And then, like, as you say, that just carried on and kind of snowballed. Yeah. And now, three years later... Um, we're currently working in 10 countries, but we have worked in 13 um, and we have amazing partners that we work with and we're um, just over 12 million pounds raised now. Yeah, fantastic. Just picking up on something you, you said there, and it's something I, I, you know, we've discussed before, but it's become very easy for someone to just do hashtag whatever the today's campaign yeah. is and think they've contributed. Yeah. And that, that, that's not... Is it? I think <laughs> I mean, it's quite. I think it's time. It can be a bit dangerous. Yeah. That that like sense of catharsis after putting something a hashtag out, or even even like when people watch a documentary, they're like, oh, I've done something good now. But yeah. actually, you have to watch the documentary and then take action. Yes. And yeah. and like something that's really important to us is impact, um, and really seeing that impact on the ground yeah. is is really important for us. So tell us about some of the other work that you've done outside of that that initial project in Calais and and anything that you've experienced firsthand as well. Um, so we we work completely cross sector. So what our kind of USB is that we are filling gaps. So whatever that gap in responses in Calais, there was no response at all. So we ended up setting up an operation. But often everywhere else that we work, there are people doing the amazing things, but they have gaps in their budget for for sometimes very basic things like blankets and sometimes you know they've got the funding for the blankets but they don't have any funding for fuel to be able to drive the cars to distribute the blankets so we're always trying to kind of look at it that way and and see how we can be most effective with the funds that we're that we're raising and and you know we are privileged to work with with incredible incredible people um you know we work in syria now um and we travel quite regularly to the border of syria and turkey um, and that you know these people are are true heroes. They're doctors who have you know have left and can can leave, but they cross back in. Um, and you know they're literally dealing with with children. You know the, the the bombs are dropping on hospitals, on schools. And were it not for these kind of grassroots Syrian organisations mm. who are who are doing the emergency response, then running hospitals, all of these things, they're literally saving lives. So it's it's really humbling to see that. You know I was in Greece a couple of weeks ago and you know it's not in the media but it's kind of an emergency again in Greece like 5,000 people arrived last month there's babies sleeping in tents people have got no food you know the the refugee camp on Lesbos in Greece um, it's called Moria and it's 
it was an old prison and it's designed for 1,800 people and there's currently 7,000 people living in it and the conditions are just awful but again it's just it's just not in the news and we really try we really try and get get the news out there but also make people feel empowered that they can do something to help um, yeah, Calais, Calais the same. There's around a thousand people in Calais at the moment. A hundred of them are unaccompanied children. That's a big part of our work, actually, sure. is advocating for unaccompanied minors. And people don't realize that these people literally have nothing. They're sleeping outside. They're not even allowed to put a tent up. The police take people's belongings two or three times a week. They take their shoes. They, you know, do really cruel, cruel things. We live in quite, quite crazy times. Let's, um, Let's talk about what you're you're doing here in Cannes because that that's going to link on to some of the stuff you were just talking about here. I kn- I know you know I, I have taken a, a look at the animation uh, that that's yeah. running. You're you're working with your partners at Clear Channel, but I'll, I'll let you describe it. You t- okay. So um, uh, when we started working in Calais, one of the people who was living in the camp is an amazing man called Majid, uh, who's from Iran, and uh, he now lives in the UK. And he is an incredible artist. Um, and he actually, last year, Elton John ran a competition for someone to, to design his, a remake of the video for Rocket Man. And Majid won and made this incredible animation. And then he, we were very honored that at Christmas time, he uh, agreed to make a film with us, which was called The Journey. Um, and it's a beautiful animation uh, showing the journey of two unaccompanied children going through exactly all the places that we work you know from their boat to greece going through the camps you know all this all these different situations where, where we work um and it's the most most beautiful film and we've been really really honored that clear channel um have been working with us to kind of get that film out there um so that first of all we did a campaign in the in the uk and it was on big screens which was just the most crazy thing for both us and majid to see to see it everywhere and now we're able to show the animation here and another part of our campaign as help refugees that we've done right since the beginning is um hashtag choose love maybe one of the good times that we could have a hashtag <laughs> um but so basically when we well it's more than that and i'm going to yeah. come on to that so but go on you Kara. <laughs> um so when we started working we we wanted to put on an event and we wanted to have a t-shirt and we were like, what should the T-shirt say? Should it yeah. say help refugees? Should it say refugees welcome? Um, and we were really lucky that Catherine Hamnett, who designed the Choose Life T-shirts in the 80s, agreed to make the T-shirt with us. And she said, well, you know, what you're doing, you're like not thinking about the politics. You, you know, these people could be your children, that could be your mother, and you're just deciding to choose love. So why don't we do choose love? And it really, really caught on. Yeah. Um, so we've kind of mixed up the the animation, the journey, and our kind of the ethos of what we do, Choose Love. And so it's amazing. It's on the big screen above the Grand Hotel. And it's, it's massive. I can't, can't believe it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're kind of spreading the message yeah. of, of Choose Love, of people being aware of what's going on. You know, we're in a beautiful place in the south of France. But, you know, this is happening in France right now. It's happening yeah. in Italy right now. It's Absolutely. happening in Greece right now. Um, so it's, it's nice to be able to kind of show people yeah what's going on well, well we'll share that video on our show notes when we uh when we post those up on the website um but for any listeners i, I know you can just search on youtube help refugees the journey and they should find it quite easily um but on the choose love one now this is really interesting because it's not just a hashtag choose dot love <laughs> is your website that you you know that you're promoting and i've got to be honest i didn't even know you could have a dot love url neither did i it's is, so cool isn't it yeah i know we were really excited when we found out that we could so last christmas 
we were really aware that winter like winter was here and there were so many needs that we weren't able to meet and the year before the refugee crisis was in the news agenda but it just wasn't now um so we needed to find a way to make it be in the news um and we wanted to do it in a positive positive empowering way um so we came up with the concept of having a shop so it was like a, a new version of a charity shop um, we were given a space in Soho and it was called the Choose Love Shop and when you walked in it felt really vibey and nice we kind of wanted it to feel like an Apple store um, and there was a big long table in the middle of the shop which was split into three sections um, and all the items on the table looked like luxury items that you might want to buy but when you look closer you realise that these were things that were an absolute lifeline for a refugee. So it started off with a rival, so there was a life jacket which represented the search and rescue boat that we support, um, a blanket, emergency blanket, and then it moved on to shelter, so there was like a tent, hygiene pack, food pack, um, ch children's boots, um, and then the future, which was our favourite part because we don't really believe that anyone should be living in a refugee camp. So we had a school bag, which represented the education programmes we support, a pair of house keys, which represent the accommodation programmes we support. And you would come in and have a shopping experience and maybe buy a blanket, a food pack, a hygiene pack, but you would leave with nothing and we would instead make sure that those items got delivered to people yeah. who, who really needed them. I think that's brilliant because often with when you're donating to a charity, you, you just don't know where the cash is going. Yeah. At least this way you can physically see what you are buying. Yeah, I it, was, brilliant. it was really amazing. And so we had the online store as well, which was choose.love. Yeah. Um, and we ended up raising close to three quarters of a million pounds, um, which, is, which yeah. is just literally amazing. And people were, like you say, the, the tangibleness of it yeah. is is people really connected like people were coming into the store and seeing the, the children's boots and bursting into tears because they suddenly realize that there's an actual child at the other end of this and and like you say people people are a bit disillusioned about where money goes and you know core costs for a lot of organizations are really high our core costs are only actually six percent um, which is something we're really, really proud of. Mm. Um, but 100% of the money from the store goes to exactly what where we say it is. And, and I, I think people really like that. Yeah, and I love the fact on the website you can buy the whole lot yeah, buy for, for 499 yeah. pence. I, I have looked. You really have. <laughs> have. Um, people loved doing that, buying yeah. buying the store, buying the table. It was it, pe People were just amazing. They were coming in and feeling... I think like leaving with the best shopping experience yeah. ever, but they hadn't actually bought anything. That's it was, brilliant. It was really great. Fantastic. Um, and just to finish off, you're, you're here at Cannes, as I said, to sign up some more partners. So hopefully some of those will be listening to this interview. What's the, what's the key message you want to get across to them? Um, I think we all have a responsibility to help those that are less fortunate than us. And sometimes actually for, for big brands and for corporations and institutions, we, it's not actually going to volunteer and folding a pair of trousers that's the most helpful thing that you can do. You know, everyone's got the tools here to really reach people and have impact, that word that we keep, we keep talking about. And for us, partnerships like we've had with Clear Channel raise a huge amount of awareness, but they also raise a huge amount of funds. Um, and these partnerships are, are really, really important. And I think if people think creatively, which is what this is all about, there's loads of really creative ways that we can make a real difference in the world. And we, we just kind of, even if it's not working with us, we really want people to be thinking about, right, you know, let's think of really creative ways to be having real impact in the world for whatever cause it is that you really care about. So where do they need to go to uh, get hold of you? They need to go to www.helprefugees.org uh, awesome. or www.choose.love. Fantastic. Um, yeah.
thank you so much that's absolute pleasure well uh, uh, yeah just share that that uh, store website again it is very simply choose dot love um, and you can find out more ways to support uh, Josie's team there but for now uh, thanks for chatting to us today we, we were only going to do about five minutes I think we've, we <laughs> you're so passionate about this so it was an absolute pleasure to oh, chat to you for, you for so much much longer it was really good oh, thank you thank Absol- you for having me on absolute pleasure It's harder than ever to keep track of everything being said in news and social media. It's even more difficult to gain actionable insights that will improve your reputation and results. Karma provides global media intelligence services to help you communicate more effectively. From automated media monitoring to expertly crafted PR measurement reports, Karma delivers what matters. For more information or to schedule a free consultation, please visit karma.com. That's C-A-R-M-A. Welcome back to the C-Suite podcast with me, Russell Goldsmith. Um, it's uh, getting late in the uh, in the day here, so it's getting a little loud in the cabana. Um, but it's an absolute honour to welcome my next guest, who also happens to be our oldest guest on the uh, C-Suite podcast, and that's uh, Puran Isasing, um, who has had a very special reason for being here at the festival. Now, I know uh, Puran won't mind me saying that uh, she is a terminally ill patient, um, but together with a number of other people in a similar situation to her, uh, she has featured in an ad campaign where she and her fellow patients have had to perform stand-up comedy uh, telling jokes about their conditions. Um, it's a brilliant video. I- I've seen it, obviously, and, and we'll share that, that link um, to it when we upload the show notes on the website at csweetpodcast.com. But you can find it if you just search for End of Life Care India on YouTube, and it should be in the top uh, search results and it's called Last Laugh. Uh, now alongside Puran is uh, Prafal Akali, uh, founder and MD of Medula, the healthcare agency from Mumbai in India responsible for creating the campaign and uh, the campaign was for the Indian Association of Palliative Care uh, that helps patients get comfortable with death. Um, so a warm welcome to both of you, it's a very warm welcome actually this, this <laughs> afternoon. Uh, Puran, let's come to you first. How, how does it feel being here at Cannes, Lion, presenting your story? Very nice. It was really fun doing it. Everybody appreciated a nice view and I like trans atmosphere very much. That's fantastic. Praful, this campaign won an award here last year, which is obviously why you were invited back to talk about it. But, but you must be so proud, obviously, presenting with uh, Puran. But for, for the benefit of those of our listeners who won't be aware of it, can you just give us a bit of background to the whole, the whole campaign and the story? Uh, sure, I will. Uh, um Essentially, yes, I was very, very proud uh, uh, because she got a standing ovation uh, today. Uh, and I, I haven't seen that happen in a very long time. I've been attending Cannes for a few years now. <laughs> it was very nice out there. <laughs> and uh, yes, so the campaign was uh, for the Association of Palliative Care, IAPC. That's uh, easier to roll off the tongue. Uh, and uh, uh, we've done this about a year back, uh, a little over a year back, of course. Uh, and... Uh, uh, the issue was that uh, talking about debt in India has been a taboo uh, for ages now. And like any taboo, this is uh, uh, something which is irrational, unquestioned. You ask people why you wouldn't talk about that, no one knows it. Uh, but the issue was that uh, uh, this association was working to promote palliative care for about 25 years. Really powerful association, doing a lot. Uh, but if people wouldn't talk about debt, then um, you wouldn't talk about palliative care. And the access to palliative care in the country was down to 1%. Uh, 
uh, we were ranked at number 40 in a list of 40 countries on our end of life care right. in a survey by The Economist. Uh, uh, so we said we have to do something about it with uh, uh, these guys. Uh, uh, and uh, 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 the best way to get people to talk about that is to get them to laugh about it. <laughs> uh, so we had... Uh, 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 a few terminally ill patients like Puran, and Puran was the star of the show. Uh, uh, so we had a few of them, and she, I have to say, she really is because I've watched, as I said, I watched the video, and she is very good. But go on, sorry, you carry on. Sorry. And she was the oldest in the group. Yeah, yeah. She, she was 87. And the others were about 60, 65. Right. Uh, she surprised us. Puran, do you? Do you I'm I mean, 86. 80, oh, okay. <laughs> Never get a woman's age wrong. No. <laughs> That's <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> Absolutely. That's fantastic. I'm so with you. Absolutely. Um, t tell us about your condition and why you wanted to be involved in, in the video. See, actually, I like. I had been very sick, so I've actually gone through all that thing. I had a dengue one and a half year back. So I saw death at a very, very close quarter. So then I said, why not do something which other people can avoid and do? So I tell them, why not laugh every day rather than cry and think of death? Death has to come. It is inevitable. So it's better do your life well. And then when death comes, welcome it. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. It's so inspirational as well. That the video, you get such a mix of emotions when you're watching <laughs> it because it's funny, but obviously it's you have to think about the conditions. Obviously that, that everyone's you know there. And and we were doing this for a few months together, and still when we saw the video for the first time, we were laughing and crying. Yeah. Together, it, it, it was just crazy. No, it really it really is. And um, Puran, can you share with us your favorite joke from from the night? <laughs> Today's. Uh, today's or even from the show, whichever you like. See, actually, today, I, for this one, I had been to a visa office to ask for the visa. When officers saw me, they said, is this your passport? They saw I said, yes, my passport. They said, you are the oldest person that we are giving the visa to, France. So when I good, very, then he started clapping. <laughs> clapping for what? <laughs> I clap and I come back alive. <laughs> that's exactly. That's excellent. That, that's and, and she had about five of these for the session today. Yeah, <laughs> tremendous. Um, Prafor, it's obviously a very sensitive subject. Um, as we've discussed, it, it is hugely uh, creative to deliver the message in, in the way you've done it. What I was interested, were there any negative responses to it? And, it, and if so, how did you deal with that? So we were afraid of negative responses, uh, uh, but we really didn't have any. Uh, uh, the response is super and I think it was uh, uh, the patients that did it. They were extremely inspirational and, and when you saw the video you just felt good about it. There was nothing negative that came out of it at all. Uh, but we were afraid because when you break a taboo like that you, yeah. you can have very negative reactions with it. Absolutely. On the contrary it was much better the other way because it's not patient's fault that they have cancer or anything. It is after all doubt. She, whose fault it is that they should be always put to that terminally ill and this and that. Yeah. So it's all, you know, that. It's also interesting that you asked that question because uh, we hit upon the idea of using laughter to break the taboo very early. Uh, but then the question was, how do we set it up? Uh, and there were different ways of doing it. We could just be cracking jokes on, on that ourselves. We could get professional stand-up comics to do it. 
but then we said uh, that could always have negative reactions. Uh, but if you really pick up these patients who generally want to perform, who want the last hurrah before they kind of leave the world, uh, then uh, and we actually trained them for several weeks uh, with professional stand-up comics. So the same yeah. stand-up comics that were going to crack jokes on death themselves and spend probably three or four days figuring those jokes out. Spent about six weeks, eight weeks of their life uh, talking to these people, picking up content for uh, their own stand-up comedy. Yeah, show. yeah, <laughs> amazing. Um, listen, let's, I, I want to finish this off. I, I'm just keen to find what, what your advice would be to other brands and organizations in the healthcare space when it comes to the title of your talk, which was Experiments with Life-Changing Creativity. Yes, so one really big thing actually, uh, uh, this is an area which is very unexplored. Uh, it's an area where uh, uh, the project's extremely complex like ours. We never knew whether the project would actually work out. When we had the terminally ill patients and they were trained for six weeks, uh, we never knew if all of them would survive the six weeks, two of them did not. Uh, we, were, uh, we, we never knew when these people come on stage if they would be able to perform. Puran, for example, came on stage for the very first time at the age of 86. Amen. <laughs> and uh, I was myself thinking whether I'll be able to perform or not. But that subject itself was so engrossing and so nice that I said, okay, I'll do that and see. So the people should get the message that see, not to get afraid of death. Amazing. And exactly that. You shouldn't be afraid of life-changing creativity as well. Yeah. You just have to keep doing it bit by bit by bit and find your way around it. It's, it's, it's fancy. Sorry. If the patient can laugh, why can't the other world can laugh? What a great way to finish. Um, thank you so much, for, especially Puran. Thank yeah. you so much for joining us. Uh, thrilled came, you know, yeah. so thrilled that you came and, and shared thanks, your story. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see you back at Cairn, maybe another year. Hopefully, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's tremendous. Uh, we are back after this quick break. You're listening to the C-Suite Podcast. To listen to all previous shows in the series, you can either visit csuitepodcast.com, follow us on SoundCloud, or subscribe to the show in iTunes by searching for the C-Suite Podcast in the iTunes store. Please do give us a positive rating and review when you do. Podcast with me, Russell Goldsmith, here at the Echo House of PR. Um, and there's a reason why this music's playing in the background. Um, it's the soundtrack to an advert that forms a key part of a fantastic award-winning campaign uh, for Sick Kids Foundation. Um, and the uh, campaign aims to raise a staggering 1.3 billion Canadian dollars uh, by 2022. And the aim is to help fund a major overhaul for the uh, Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto. And I'm delighted to tell us all about it. Uh, we're joined by Laurie Davison, who is Sick Kids VP for Brand Strategy and Communications. Welcome to the show, Laurie. Thank you, Russell. Uh, now. You were talking about this campaign in a session earlier in the week, and it was titled From Charity to Performance Brand. And that soundtrack that we just heard, I mean, it really is quite powerful. And, and we're going to share the links uh, to the ad that it plays on through our, you know, through our social channels and on, on the notes to this podcast. Can you just take us back a stage, though, and explain a little bit about what you mean when you talk about stopping talking like a charity and instead acting like a performance brand? Yeah, so there, uh, within uh, the charitable sector, there is a, a familiar zone uh, for advertising and communications that tends to tap into empathy 
and specifically within uh, the children's hospitals uh, and ch child-related causes. Uh, there's, the tonality is around uh, a, a sort of nurturing um, kind of language that is meant to tap into your heartstrings and get you to uh, reach into your wallet as a result. But there's a, another side of the story, especially at, at the hospital, like the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, mm. which is uh, a world-renowned uh, hospital uh, known for solving big problems in child health, one of the top three children's hospitals in the world. So there's a side of the story that is really more about the performance of the institution. And there is the people that are on the front line every day committing their lives uh, to bring knowledge and expertise to bear to do everything that they can to help these kids. And that story is really around the will to win. And we um, made a decision with this new campaign to lean into that territory, which, as I said, is a much fresher zone, more an untold uh, aspect of, of the uh, sector communication. And once we made that decision and we embraced this uh, a platform called Sick Kids Versus, we realized that we, we have to go all the way. So you can't, uh, you can't kind of wade into the uh, imagery of, of a performance brand uh, without like going all there. So we have adopted uh, athletic tonality and imagery and uh, the sort of human spirit that is uh, part of, of that realm of marketing and appropriated it. Well, I was going to ask about that because, the, the, I mean, the, the Sick Kids Versus, it really is brilliant. I've been looking at you know, a lot of the, the output that, you, that you've done. I was just wondering what's the, the thought process that goes through something like that and, and how it's then transformed across outdoor PR, social media, and also it would be good to know some of the results that it's generated as, as well. Yeah, so we, so the working with our agency Cassette, who developed this uh, platform, Sick Kids Versus, and the long form of it is Sick Kids Versus the Greatest Challenges in Child Health. Uh, but what that can connote is sick kids versus cancer, sick kids versus heart disease, sick kids versus, you know, on and on, all the different battlefronts that the hospital is engaged on. And so what Cassette has done is, uh, is dimensionalize that, uh, that tone and that spirit uh, through music and imagery, and, uh, and we carry that through all the different elements of the campaign. So it's got a, a, a really aggressive feel to it, but it's, uh, it's the kind of tone that makes you just want to get up and move, you know, which is really our challenge, which is overcoming apathy because when it comes to charitable giving, the easiest thing to do is nothing. Yeah. And so we, we think of ourselves as waging war on inertia. And I think, uh, I think just by adopting the, the kind of spirit of this creative, uh, we are, we're challenging you to, to take action. Yeah, it's, it's, it's simple but brilliant. When you, know, when you think about the, sink, the sick kids verses, it kind of like, yeah, they're so obvious, but then it's brilliantly creative. So right. no, it's, it's really clever. And what about in terms of have you seen an impact or, or what changes have you seen in terms of the, the donations and, and who, who's responding to it? So the strategy um, for making this shift was largely with the intention of bringing in a new cohort of donors. So our traditional donor audience is a core target of women, 45 plus, who have children in their lives. And 
knowing that we had this massive fundraising goal to achieve, we realized we weren't going to get there by talking to the same audience and telling her the same things she already knew. Uh, we needed to uh, attract new donors, and for us that meant younger and more male. And, uh, and so this shift in tone was uh, largely conceived with that audience in mind. And what we have seen is that we've been very successful bringing in that audience. So what we're seeing is all of our growth is coming from younger and a more male audience. And what's interesting uh, that we've learned is that when men donate, they actually donate more. And so our average donation has also gone up. Uh, and then importantly though, uh, the person who has the strongest affinity to this campaign, the person that likes it the most, is that woman, 45 plus. And so uh, we've been successful in bringing in this whole new uh, tribe of, of donors, but without alienating uh, that, that sort of core that was so important to us long term. Yeah. And, and, and even extending now into your own merchandise, I saw. Yeah, so we've got, uh, we actually have, generate close to $200,000 in revenue now from the merch associated with Amazing. the kids versus t-shirts are flying off the, cell, off the shelves in the hospital. And, and actually, uh, I should mention that in terms of results, uh, I just got a note today that we have reached the halfway mark. Wow, uh, So $650 million in the door and that's incredible <laughs> and uh, even Ryan Reynolds fronting some stuff there was a video on YouTube with him yeah so Ryan Reynolds Deadpool uh, himself. actually reached out to us uh, he had oh, really? yeah okay. he he came to uh, Toronto right. for a, an induction into Canadian there's a hall of fame for celebrities in Toronto and he yeah. came to be inducted and he met at that event a sick kids patient uh, named Grace Bowen uh, and they struck up a real uh, relationship. They were dancing on the dance floor and he stayed in touch with her and the family. And sadly, she passed away actually in um, a few years ago. Uh, and he reached out to us saying, how can I help? And so the, uh, the spot that you, uh, that you saw, he, uh, we quickly just wrote a script for him. He said, I'm, I'm in New York for a few weeks. It's easy for me to come to Toronto. We wrote a script. He flew in on his own dime, uh, shot this spot with 300 sick kids staff. Yeah, and you know, and then even just uh, him putting it out to his social media community yeah, uh, created massive engagement for us and driving driving donations. Amazing. So he's been an, a wonderful, wonderful partner for us. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll add that we'll add that video to our show notes as well. Yeah. Um, was it a challenge to go down this kind of route internally? Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, I think everyone understood from the outset that we needed to do something different and then and not just different for us but different for the category that if we were really going to break through in the the way we needed to it was going to have to be a significant shift. So that that was the brief from the beginning and so there was the the organization was prepared for change. The way we approached it though was to make sure that we engaged all of the many many stakeholders involved. And so we took uh, a full year uh, to socialize the campaign before it launched and brought it forward to everyone that would have touched it um, right through to the, the parents and the patients themselves so that by the time we launched, uh, we knew we had this army of support uh, from the community behind us. And I, I, I really believe that was crucial that we, that we took that time. And I think the, the way we went about it was to, uh, we developed a sort of a spec video that 
clarified the, the concept. And we didn't hold back on that piece. We didn't try to make that piece, a, you know, something that you could kind of be comfortable with. Yeah. We made it as bold-faced as the end, we wanted the end result to be so that there were no surprises and people knew what they were buying. But I think uh, I think that that helped as well, so yeah. that it was there was real clarity about what we were what we were proposing to do. And, and as well as the the building overhaul, where the, you know when you get to this target, where's the, where else is the money going to be used? So we uh, we have an ongoing commitment to the hospital uh, to fund uh, research and then other other aspects of just sort of keeping the lights on. As uh, my uh, one of our uh, board members says, in, in Canada, if you take a hospital and you turn it upside down and shake it, everything that falls out needs to be funded by philanthropy. And so we have an ongoing commitment within the $800 million operating budget of the hospital to fund about 20% of that year over year. And that is uh, largely, uh, re- it's research, care and training essentially is the focus. Okay. And uh, now this campaign, I don't want to embarrass you, but this also uh, led you to be named as the Canadian Marketeer of the Year at the end of last year. That wasn't, how, how, did, that, how did that feel? Oh, that was a very nice recognition and, uh, and actually... Uh, it's uh, given me the opportunity to do uh, sort of talks like this, which I really enjoy and, you know, spread the word uh, for sick kids. Well, talking of spreading the word, come on, here's your chance then. If listeners want to find out more about the campaign and maybe even make a donation, uh, where's the best place for them to go? The best place to go is fundthefight.ca. You learn a lot about sick kids, uh, all the great work going on there, and definitely the opportunity to donate. Fantastic. Uh, Laurie Davison, uh, thank you so much for chatting to us, and uh, good luck reaching that, that rest of the target. Thanks very much. That's brilliant. Well, that actually finishes uh, this episode of the C-Suite podcast. So thanks again uh, to all our guests and to ICO for hosting us in their house of PR. Um, don't forget, you can listen to all previous episodes of the show on the website at uh, www.csuitepodcast.com. There's also links uh, to subscribe on all the various different uh, podcast platforms, so SoundCloud, iTunes, and all your other uh, podcast platforms that you uh, choose to listen to. So you can just search for us there on uh, the C-Suite podcast. You should find us. If you do, please uh, give us a positive rating and review because that helps us up the charts and means more people get to hear about this kind of important stuff that we've been talking about. If you want to contact us about the show then uh, you can do that via the contact form on the website too and if you want to reach out to me then it is simply at Russ Goldsmith via Twitter but for now thanks for listening and goodbye.